Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. You're listening to Season 6 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture, to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out, and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried fam. This is an episode this week that you've probably been waiting for for a long time. In fact, I know you've been waiting for it for a long time because you told me so. And because I always want to give my listeners what they're needing and what they're asking for, today I have someone who specializes in parental burnout. We're releasing this episode exactly one week before U.S. Mother's Day. Now, I know Mother's Day is not on the same day all over the world. I know that it varies in the U.K., it varies all over Europe, it varies. So I understand that this is a little bit, you know, American-centric right now. However, I chose this day intentionally because I wanted to give people the opportunity to think about what they might want or need in reality for Mother's Day that's coming up. And the majority of my listeners are in the United States. So I set it up that way on purpose. So today on the podcast, my good friends, we have Shelly Kemmerer, who is a parent, board certified physician assistant, and founder of Run Tell Mom LLC. She received her postgraduate certification from the Training Institute for Parental Burnout, an institute developed by the pioneers of parental burnout research, Professors Isabel Roskam and Moira Mikowajczak. This is, I love a good Polish last name. She is a certified facilitator of Eve Rodsky's Fair Play Method and regularly collaborates with other parental mental health advocates in order to increase burnout awareness in both personal and professional atmospheres. She promotes both household equity and burnout prevention as two integral components of family planning. She also provides a social media platform specifically focused on parent and caregiver well-being advocacy. Shelly, I am so thrilled to have you. I am thrilled to be here. As I mentioned, Kate, I think um, our worlds have finally come together because we know each other through a mutual friend. Um, Christine, who also works in burnout. Uh, She works in healthcare burnout. So this is just an awesome experience. I'm so excited. I am thrilled. And when I was reading through the beginnings of your burnout story, I'm thinking, oh my God, brand new PA, brand new mom, husband, a physician, like talk talk about, oh my God. So why don't I, I don't want to tell the whole story. Why don't you tell people the story and then we'll go, we'll move on from there. Sure. So um, prior to becoming a PA, I was a medical assistant. So I worked as a medical assistant for years. I worked in rheumatology. I worked in oncology, um, orthopedics, 
did all sorts of things. So I decided I wanted to pursue another um, degree. So I was thinking about, do I become a nurse practitioner or a PA? So I went through all that and then I decided I was going to go the PA route. So as I went through the PA route, I end up becoming pregnant during my clinical year. Now, I don't typically share too much about myself personally. I I hold a lot of things kind of close to my chest as I I work with other parents and share my story. But I'll say that um, becoming pregnant was not easy. And it was something that I didn't think I was able to go through with or or achieve um, in my life. And so it was, it was a surprise. Um, So I went through my clinical year and encountered all sorts of issues during my clinical year. Uh, You know, tons of morning sickness, um, you know, seeing patients, going into the bathroom, coming back out, you know, sweating for a while. I didn't share uh, my pregnancy with anybody. Um, There was a couple of people that knew, but as far as like clinically, I didn't share it with certain preceptors because I just thought, oh, well, you know, they're going to have a certain opinion about it. And And I've already heard all the opinions that I wanted to hear about pregnancy and going through medical school and all this stuff and and clinicals and and that sort of thing. So I plugged on, I got through it right around the time that I was taking my boards. I had my child. So I was, (laughs) yeah. So I was pumping through the night and mind you, I was, well, I was trying to pump through the night. I really struggled with that. Um, and studying. So I was doing flashcards, pumping, baby time, trying to maintain some sort of a semblance of a relationship with my husband while we're kind of like two passing ships in the night and get through all of that and decide, you know what, I'm going to go full throttle on this and I'm going to go back into work. I'm going to work longer days so I can have more time at home. So I'm just going to compound the days. And it was, it sucked. I have to be honest, it sucked. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about what type of career I could see myself in, if this was the kind of picture of what I thought motherhood and having a career were going to be like. And I have to say, it was, it wasn't only eye opening, but it was a sobering moment because I just remember kind of sitting in those thoughts and thinking, this isn't what. I anticipated, and now I'm experiencing dual role collision. So I talk a lot about that. Dual role collision is when your career and your household or parenting life kind of go head to head, and it's like, you know what? Now you have to start making some really difficult choices. And that's where I got. And so I started thinking more and more about, you know, do I want to go back into oncology and work certain hours? Do I want to go and do my own thing? And, you know, time passed. Um, developed Bruntel Mom, which initially was specifically focusing on, um, you know, family planning, preparing the household, all the postpartum information, anatomy, physiology, et cetera. And then the pandemic hit shortly after that. Mm. And the writing for me, it was on the wall because I, I knew right away, I was just like, this is not going to pan out well for parents because parents at that time were really my focus. Um, and as you can see now with the staggering levels of parental burnout and burnout in general, um, it's, it's really high. And I felt like we were not prepared for the onslaught of what was to come, which is the, you know, 
childcare struggle, financial struggles, um, personal identity struggles. And so here I am kind of doing a little bit of advocacy work, doing a bit more on, um, you know, parental burnout prevention and how we can get our resources kind of set up earlier on so that we don't encounter some of these big, huge tidal waves that we're encountering now. So I think, I mean, one of the big, huge tidal waves you you mentioned already in this sort of dual role conflict, this is, I've spoken on the podcast multiple times about the fact that I'm childless by choice. And mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. I never understood. I just I can't comprehend When people say, I don't know how you do it. I'm not trying to say, I don't know how you do it. I'm trying to say, in my life, I don't understand how that would work. I I don't have more space, I don't think. And I know the space creates and you change it. uh, But this Mm -hmm. conflict of roles to me, I believed people when they said they were struggling. And I said, Mm -hmm. I don't think I can do it. And I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So there are, and I think knowing that it was difficult for you to get to that place, you weren't really, you said it wasn't what you thought it would be, but you also probably didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what it might be because you weren't thinking that it was going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, for me, when I went into this career, I had very high hopes of a system that was also going to help take care of me, which is the healthcare system. And as we can all see, with the hundreds and thousands of people coming forward and saying, we need some system reform here, not some, tons, yeah. with the healthcare system and taking care of the people who are also taking care of other people. So for me, what that looks like is, you know, you're seeing tons of patients, you're doing charting, you're looking at x-rays. And this was when I was working urgent care, trying to do these 14 hour days, doing all these things, you have potentially one support staff but you, you don't have that person the whole entire time. And when I'm talking about like one support staff, I'm talking about for all of these people. Yeah. So you're seeing all these people and you have all the admin components of it. And then you have, so for me, I was trying to breastfeed and pump at the same time. That nosedive, that did not last long for me. And the support that I got was minimal at best, I will say. And I know some people really tried to provide support, but I think it was support that they thought would be beneficial, giving me five minutes here or there to go and pump. But it's like, there's, this is a system here. I'm coming with machinery, right? Like I'm coming with a breast pump and things I have to clean and tubing in a bag. And I have to find some place to pump that's in an x-ray room or in a bathroom. And it's, you know, for me, it felt very uncomfortable. It also felt very uncomfortable for me to ask other people for this time. But this is time that I'm providing nutrition for my child, right? And so that stress alone is intense. And I think no matter what field you work in, and, you know, I speak to healthcare professionals directly because I, I know how this goes, but you're, you're asking people to take care of other people, but not taking care of yourself. How do you, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like how, how do you justify that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, I mean, how do you justify that? And so that's the difficult part for me. And that's kind of why I started really shifting and saying, I have to do advocacy work because 
there are voices that are saying it, but I really, really see the importance now because it's not getting any better. It's yeah. getting ah, mildly better. We're not nowhere. We are nowhere near close to where this needs to be. Yes. Talking about how to actually take care of ourselves while we're taking care of other people. And that includes anywhere for that's, this is teachers, parents, caregivers, Absolutely. Like, we yes. could go on yes. and on and on and on. Every- everybody. And like I said, I can only speak to, um, you know, the healthcare professionals, because I know this is the grind that you go get that you go through. Um, teachers, absolutely. Everybody, I think um, the work that I do, and as I mentioned, I can't do this by myself, it has to involve other people, other voices have to come forward. And I know that lots more people are speaking out in, in burnout and talking about this is what we need to see. Not another coffee cart, not another pizza party, not another yoga gift certificate. These things, they're gestures, but I almost wonder, is this wellness washing? Yeah. I mean, it is you know, wellness washing offering? and it's, and it is the, uh, the, the way that I like to see that. And I choose to see it this way on purpose because otherwise I'll turn into a cynical bitch for the rest of my life is <laughs> I choose to see that as the first step that people are taking because they don't know how to do this. And so they're trying to start somewhere and hopefully it evolves into something else. Like I'm okay as a speaker, especially if I do a speaker series within a company, my goal is not to change company culture within a speaker series of three hours, right? Mm -hmm. So once, once a Mm -hmm. month, every other month for six months, like is a, is a typical, routine that I'll do. I do these same three talks. It takes six months. It's one, one, and then a month off. There's a Q and a in that month off if they want it, et cetera. My job, I believe in that time is to come through like a tornado and, and sort of stir stuff up and give mm-hmm. people the vocabulary that they need to have the conversations that need to be had in order to take the next steps. I'm not the full solution. I'm just the tornado. Yeah. I'm just getting things started. Right. So I think that sometimes the initial thought behind creating those things, I I want to believe was done with good intent. So I choose Mm -hmm. to believe that it's done with good intent to maintain my own sanity (laughs) because I can get, I'm, you know, grew up in Boston can get a little spicy. Yeah. I know that about myself. Yes. Yes. And as a, you know, a person from Pennsylvania, I have that kind of same, like you and I are bumping elbows right now. Like I get, I get it. And sometimes being that person that is the kerosene dipped match and then striking that box and becoming that, I think that's what really matters right now. We see so many different wellness, you know, we have the wellness program, we have these wellness, you know, whatever you're, you're selling at your business. What are you actually talking to your employees about? Yeah. Because I see it here. I'm living here just, you know, 15 minutes outside of Seattle. I'm in a tech hub. Yeah. So I hear from lots and lots of people who work in tech who have these, you know, massive wellness benefits who are burnt out. Yeah. So what are we doing within these, you know, with the wellness programs? What are we offering? What are we actually, you know, introducing and kind of walking through and saying, this is what is offered. Is this a benefit? Yeah, does Why this even help you? People? Yeah, is it even helpful? Because if yeah. we're not utilizing it and we don't know what it is or what the utility is, I mean, it's it's useless. <laughs> yeah. So I want to dig into the parental side of things. Mm-hmm. 
parental burnout, I was saying to you before the show, is not something I've spent a lot of time on. I often mention that I understand that it happens, but as a non-parent myself, I don't really feel qualified to have this conversation in any sort of really deep, meaningful way. What the hell do you do? Is I mean, it's kind of like this overarching. I know that's a too big of a question, but I think mm-hmm. people are coming to the point where they're like, but I have to take care of my kid. I can't, mm-hmm. I don't get time off from this. So yeah. how the hell am I supposed to make this be different enough for me to feel okay within it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's an, that's a great question, right? I think for everybody, one of the, one of the most important things that I've learned is no self-prescribed. So if I prescribe and I'm using air quotes right now, yeah. if I were to prescribe something to someone, that might not necessarily work for them, right? You need to yeah. take into mind what personally works for each family, what personally works for each person. And I think when we provide these blanket statements of, and I, I feel like these things are so dismissive when I hear this is like, oh, you just need to take a day off. Oh, you just need to take a bath. Oh, you just need to go take a, you know, whatever it is. These things just feel so dismissive yeah. because we are not considering the other factors, right? Child care being a factor, financial, um, you know, stability Impact. being mm-hmm. a factor, social support being a factor. We need to look at all of this like an ecosystem. So for parents specifically, we're looking at parental bur- burnout ver- versus workplace burnout. You pointed out one of the big things is you can't just take the time and say, you know what, I'm going to take a week off from this. I'm not talking about a vacation. I'm just talking about like, I have zero responsibilities. I'm not doing anything because there's a, the emotional component there. You don't just cut that off, right? Um, So for parental burnout, this is a specific type and it affects parents. We're talking about feelings of, you know, emotional, physical, mental exhaustion, parental detachment, decreased kind of satisfaction within your parental role or feeling ineffective in your parental role. So when, when I hear the term parental burnout, I like the lights start flashing for me that I'm like, are we concerned? Is there a concern about detachment from your child or children? that you don't experience at work in that degree, right? Like there's, there's something different there. That's another level or, um, you know, feeling ineffective in your role and just kind of being like, I just don't care anymore. Just like completely kind of emotionally out of the picture. So as far as what we do, so there's a few things. One is we can't just blanket statement. This is what's going to work for everyone. Because we don't know what someone else's situation is or what their resources are. You need to take a deeper look at what those are. Um, And then also, I think the social component and what has been missed over the past three years, that really has an impact because people come into parenthood thinking, I'm going to have this village. You hear all this talk about like parenting village, parenting village. Then over the past three years, that was a unicorn for a lot of people. And they're saying, well, I missed out on that experience of being able to go socialize with other parents. And so that isolation kind of kicks in, right? And feeling like I'm just doing this all by myself and I have nobody to turn to. I have no, I feel like I can't relate to anybody. And I'll speak for, I'm nearing 40 now. It's hard to make new friends, right? I mean, you could socialize and I have buddies out here. I'm like so grateful for a book club that I'm in and buddies, but that takes a lot of time. And I think what has really kind of set in for parents is that 
Um, it's the struggle to be a part, like to really connect with a community and kind of say like, I need help. Um, asking for help can be very difficult, especially if that's not something that you're accustomed to doing. And then really knowing where to turn and where to get your resources from. You got to stop with all the kind of, um, like I said, like do the yoga, do this, do that. And instead say, well, what, what resources, where can we point you in the right direction? So it works for your specific household. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. What kind of resources are we talking about? So, you know, it kind of depends. So 211 is a resource. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty comprehensive as far as, you know, if you need help with bill paying, getting groceries, um, you know, em- emergent help, uh, mental health resources, um, that's that's a component. Um, doula services for some people, postpartum doulas for some people. You know, I, I look at burnout prevention as early on as possible. So what I would love is if burnout prevention was a, a real component, considered a real component of family planning, and there was a whole kind of subspecialty, which I'm trying to work on, but like a subspecialty of that yeah. to have that when you are prepping, these are the conversations, mental health support. How can my partner be of assistance at home? How can my partner look after themselves and look after me while at home and having a new child? Um, You know, mental health services are scarce. Um, You know, the statistics I was reading for Mental Health America, it's like I'm trying to put up a 350 people to one mental health specialist. Yeah. That's like the average. Um, I mean, the number is startling in and of itself, but kind of assembling all of these things to create what is essentially like a suitcase of resources for the parents. Um, But but a lot of people are not doing this, right? So people, and and a lot of people go into parenthood. No, no, a hundred percent not. A lot of people go into, as I'll say, uh, maybe I'll back up a second for the first six years of my acupuncture career before I did what I'm doing now, I was a full-time acupuncturist for the first six years of my acupuncture career. I was working in an infertility center. So this is all I was doing all day, every day was helping people create families. This also added to my choice to be child-free. But people that are uh, 
actively trying to create time in their and and space in their lives for children, people that are not like surprised by their pregnancy, right? People that are like, I have time. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm doing this. It's not working. I'm going through IVF. Like here, here we are mm-hmm. with this whole process. And they're really sitting down and they're planning. They are not thinking about the ways and things that they need to do to protect themselves from the difficulties of it, because the only thing they can think about is how joyful it's going to be when it works. Yes. Right. So thinking about burnout prevention at that stage is almost, it feels, what I've had people say to me is that it feels rude and dismissive to them Mm -hmm. that somebody's like, oh, but it's going to be hard. And you don't understand Mm -hmm. that it's going to be hard yet. And they're like, bitch, this is the only thing I want. Yes. Absolutely. You know, so and how it, do we, how do we, how do we present this in a way that says, yes, this is beautiful and amazing. And we trust that you really want to do this. And at the same time, if you set yourself up well, it will be easier because there are going to be some hidden challenges that you, that you, you don't quite see yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you brought up an awesome point, and I'm glad that you're almost playing devil's advocate here and saying that because I think a lot of people are nervous to say this discussion should be had, but there's a way to have it, right? And so when we're assembling, when I think of like assembly of resources, I think about the components of mental health support, um, well, mental health support coupled with uh, whether it's like your primary care, internist, OB, gyne, midwife, doula. Um, those components, your social support and social network, um, phone numbers and contacts that you're going to call websites. It's almost like you're creating a pamphlet of sorts Mm -hmm. that has all, you know, all the pages that you kind of flip through and say, okay, in the event of this, I have this here because it can be kind of startling to say to somebody, Hey, guess what? Your life is about to drastically change. And this is a wholly transformative thing. Good luck. You're going to have, it's going to suck sleeping at night and you're, you're never going to have sex again. Like, you know, if you say this to people, (laughs) honestly, and if you say this to people, this is, this is startling stuff. Would I ever lead with that? Absolutely not. Because it, I don't want it to feel scary for people. I want there to be a very realistic and very reasonable approach to kind of taking these things on and saying, we can assemble this stuff, but we can also enjoy the process of becoming, you know, getting pregnant or going through IVF or whatever the case may be. And and I know that that is challenging. I've talked with many people who have gone through IVF. I was considering stages away from, from even thinking about it. Um, but assembling what is support? Mm. Is that much more valuable? And I guess um, kind of lightens the load earlier on instead of scrambling, because now we see the scramble, which is, well, I need all this help and support now. Of course, we didn't know what was going to happen. With the pandemic, of course. Right. Um, but scrambling to put things together now. And we're also, you know, we don't have the bo- the best social safety net here. We got a social safety net with a lot of holes. Yeah. So we're trying to catch as much as we can. And that's difficult, right? With lack of, you know, national paid leave and uh, exorbitant childcare costs, yeah. childcare closures, yeah, um, people leaving jobs and that sort. So no, I... I feel you on that. There's a way to say it. And I think just kind of assembling these things and saying, 
you may need this in the future. If you don't, that's okay. But this is what has been created in the event that you do need it. And we can talk through it in a way that's um, not frightening. That's that's (laughs) grounded and practical. And yeah, exactly. So what about the people that are scrambling right now? They're like, actually, my kid's 13 and I'm losing my shit completely. And I don't have any of these things in place. So where do I start? Where do I start? Like I'm, I'm losing it. Where do I start? What do I do? Yeah. So there's a couple things. Um, and one, obviously, this is I'm not giving people medical advice in saying this. I'm, I'm basically saying we will make um, you sign a waiver, people. Right. Right. <laughs> by listening to uh, this, but po- by continuing to listen <laughs> to this podcast, <laughs> you know, it's like I am a I am a trained, licensed healthcare professional. However, I cannot give every single person that's listening this, you know, advice. Um, 13. Hey, we have a 12 going on 13 year old. I get it. Um, it's hard. There's a lot of changes. Uh, there's a lot of things going on in social media. They're seeing things and talking about things that we probably thought they would never be talking about. And their personalities are changing. Um, the, the amount of work that it takes to be a parent and understanding these changes, it's a lot. Um, first thing is it kind of depends on where, how burnt out you're feeling and what kind of, I guess, stage you're at in this process. If you're feeling like there's detachment going on, detachment from your child, or you're just not kind of keyed into this parental role and you see yourself being different than the, the parent that you were before. These are things that you definitely have to talk to your healthcare team about. I'll tell you, there is a lot of parent coaches that are out there and um, influencers and stuff like that. And I kind of struggle when I see people saying, oh, well, you just need to practice resilience. Um, you just need to work on your coping that mechanisms. Just makes me laugh. And I think about that. I'm like, you know, telling a parent, <laughs> like telling a parent after the past three years to be more resilient is so a slap in the face condescending and just it's it's awful um one leaning into your care team i'm talking about a trusted collaborative care team that you have a strong therapeutic alliance with that is one thing two is what do your resources look like sometimes you need to kind of take a hard look at things pause on things that aren't urgent or emergent and say you know what i need to assess what i need right now in this moment and I need to think about the things that I've kind of organized as far as, you know, local social support, family support. Who am I talking to when I really struggle, when I need parenting advice? Um, a lot of people do turn to social media. Of course, there's some really great social media accounts and some that are, you know, they come down on parents like a hammer. If they don't get it right, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And that creates a lot of parenting perfectionism, which yeah. then is another contributor. Um, so those things, uh, talking to trusted friends, making time for yourself is a big one. Um, what brings you joy? For a lot of people, when I ask, what are the things that bring you joy? They say, I don't even remember. Mm. I don't know. I don't All remember. All right, so we're going to stop was. there for a second. Yeah. Did everybody just listen to that question? Did you Did you really listen to that question? And this isn't just for parents. This is for everybody. When you are burnt out, your brain's ability to feel things like joy and gratitude are diminished. 
So this is going to be especially tricky for you to find an answer to this question if you didn't answer it before you got to a burnt out stage. So if you don't know what brings you joy, if you hear that question and you're like, I literally don't know, don't even ask me that. That's ridiculous. What I want you to start paying attention to is when does my body start to like close in and shell off? And when does my body start to open? What points of my day and what people that I'm talking to and what task that I'm performing, what shuts me down and what opens me up? This sometimes your body is giving you clues to things that you're not even noticing or paying attention to because we've never been given this skill. We've just never been taught how to do that. So if you don't know, make an attempt to try to use your body as a way or one of the things that's always recommended in life coaching world is to say, go back to your childhood. What did you like doing then? Right? Did you like to color? Did you like a puzzle? Did you like to whatever it was? The only thing I remember from childhood that I like doing is eating ice cream. So that's not necessarily a solution. <laughs> that's not true. I'm just kidding. But I, this question, what brings you joy? can feel like a challenge. Absolutely. I couldn't answer it when I was yeah. really down in the dumps. I used to love, well, I do love painting. I paint um, all sorts of different things. In fact, there was a period of time where I could tell the kind of wheels were spinning in the wrong direction. And I, I had no paintings in my house that were done by me. I just didn't have mm -hmm. them out. And my husband actually kind of noticed it and we started reintroducing things slowly. But during that time, um, I wasn't painting at all. And I absolutely love it. I make a total mess. I'm, I have, you know, I'm color mixing and matching using my color wheel, like getting out the theory and stuff. And I just wasn't doing it. So for me to ask myself, and I'm saying full disclosure, I hated that question because mm. I'm like, you know what? I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. Right now, this is how I'm feeling. And I don't even want to think about it. And when people would ask me, like, what's the latest thing you'd paint? And I just felt myself like a clam, just whoop. like, yeah. I haven't felt the need to paint. Well, why? And, you know, my friends who actually are asking me, like, they're curious because they know I'm a very creative individual. So like, so why? What's going on is the next, you know, follow up question. And so that one is a difficult one. And I say that with a lot of compassion for the other for others who are listening who are thinking about that like what does it really mean sometimes for me joy looks like um, having a laugh and like having to take like a deep breath after it and just having a moment that I'm like I really was into that laugh I'm not just giving you a courtesy laugh right now but like I'm chuckling I'm laughing right now um, and sometimes that is just getting out into the garden having total peace and quiet and just digging holes and pulling out weeds. Stuff like that. And I think the weeding thing is cathartic in many ways because you're mm -hmm. thinking about taking things out that aren't, you know, serving that environment that should, you know, shouldn't be there. You're trying to clean things up. And I think there's a lot to be said about burnout prevention or um, burnout strategies. Instead of saying self-care, I'm talking self-strategy of how to kind of clean things up and lean it, lean it to like what is most necessary for myself right now. So that's a whole strategy in and of itself. And I want to get into this because I think my personal 
thought process, but, and please correct me because again, not a parent. My personal thought process around this is that as children grow, they need you a little bit more in some ways and a little bit less in others. Yeah. And the things that they need you a little bit less in, sometimes you forget to let go of. Yeah. So instead of taking the things, instead of weeding out those pieces or taking those things off the plate, what ends up happening is you keep putting more things on your plate without realizing that you're still doing stuff that doesn't actually need to be done anymore. Like if your child is nine and you're still making them breakfast, like stop it. You don't need to do that. A nine-year-old can make their own breakfast. Like they can scramble an egg or pour some cereal. It's not that hard. So what how do you recommend or how often or how, both of those questions, I think, do you recommend people look at their day-to-day and their interactions with their children to figure out what can be taken off the plate? I think for a lot of people, it starts getting to that, um, to the boiling point. And then they say, oh, well now like enough is enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Before, ideally, it's before you reach that boiling point, right? Where you're kind of, you're feeling like there's a lot going on. There's a lot to organize in the morning. I look at it from like a healthcare provider's perspective as triaging. Yeah. So triage what is most urgent and all the other things you decide, do I have to do this today? Do I have to do this myself? Is there somebody else in my household that can be contributing and doing this? Um, some of the most uncomfortable conversations that you have to have are within your household about changing the work um, that you're doing, the tasks that you're doing. You know, right now, like we're, we have a five turning six-year-old and a 12 turning 13-year-old. And so there's a lot of different things that, you know, ability-wise they're able to do. I will tell you, our five-year-old loves helping, but needs that shaping, right? Yeah. And the 12, 13 year old needs a lot of reminders. We think right. like, what instead of a reminder can we give you so that you automatically know, is it a pop up on your, you know, on your phone or like, what, what is it? Um, and I'm sure people are going to cringe when they hear phone, but you know, sign of the I, times, right? You do you boo. Exactly. Exactly. And so you have to think about what works for your household, but prior to that boiling point, you need to start kind of like thinking about your time and how much of it is consumed with all the tasks and responsibilities that you have throughout the day in comparison to the time that you have to rest, to invest in yourself, self-maintenance, um, uh, self-maintenance, self-investment. I'm trying to use self-investment more than self-care because mm. I think self-care gets like, being like you know, it's yeah. omnipresent, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, before you get to that tipping point, I think it's always good to kind of reevaluate who is doing what in the house. And typically it falls on a mom. particular person like that. Yeah. On mom's shoulders. And start yeah. giving it out based on age and ability. Right. So one of the, the interesting part of what you just said is the, the questions that you started asking are the questions that are in the resentment journal that I use for almost all of my clients and that I use in a lot of keynotes that I give. It's start making notes of the things that you're a little irritated about, a little resentful about. This is how you catch it before it gets to the boiling point. But you have to admit that you're being resentful about it. You have to admit that it's annoying you. You have to say, I know that I'm a mother and I still don't want to make you eggs every damn day. 
And yeah. that's and and be okay with the fact that that you feel that way. So you have to admit the things first. And then you go through a series of questions. A series of questions is is in the resentment journal, but they sound really similar. Like, does this thing even need to be done? Do I yeah. need to be the person doing it? Is there a tool or a system that would make it easier? These are all the steps we take to unwind resentment and big emotions in our lives, in our families, in our relationships that allow things to be more equitable and more even, which leads really well into the fair play mm -hmm. ideas. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Because I know we said it in your bio and I know what it is, but some of the listeners might not have ever heard of this. So let's give that a rundown into that. Yeah. So I, when I generally do kind of a rundown for fair play, I start thinking about if you look at your house. So right now I'm facing my kitchen and I look at kind of each space in the kitchen and what is involved in the kitchen. When I look at it, I look at it very differently than my, my husband does than the kids do. And so when I look at the fridge, I start thinking about condiments that are in the fridge, what's going to expire, what is already expired that I could probably thrown out like a few days ago, what things I need to get. So we're thinking about um, kind of how, how that rotation works and who's yeah. picking up the slack there, who ends up looking through those things and saying, okay, well, if, if so-and-so's ketchup is out, I have to go get that mental load, right? Like we're yeah. adding to this list. And so fair play, I guess, in essence, kind of allows you to understand where a lot of these responsibilities fall on and how we can start working in a more equitable way to divvy up the responsibilities within one's household so you understand the amount of work that it takes. Preparing for birthday parties, sending out invitations, timelines, um, you know, doctor's visits, things like that, like all these things. And I think typically, as you mentioned, like a, a mother's job, mother's responsibility, we just keep track of these things a lot of the time in our heads. But once you write these down or you have cards displaying, these are the activities that we need to go through. It is eye-opening. And also like defining what does done mean? Hmm. So if I'm washing the dishes I'm going to squeeze that sponge out and I'm going to put the sponge in a certain place, whatever. So it doesn't stink and get, you know, smelly. Maybe for somebody else, they don't do it. They leave the sponge in the sink and it's like filled with food and they just kind of chuck it there. Are we right. discussing what done is, what done looks like for the house? Yeah. In corporate speak, this is, do we know what good looks like? Yes. So having these discussions, and I think these are, these are important things because, you know, you'll, you'll hear from families. I feel like my you know, partner isn't pulling enough weight. I feel like we're not having these conversations. And this is another one of those uncomfortable conversations sometimes that you need to have so that you start reassessing and reassigning the work. And with fair play, if you get fair play cards, you can actually like see within your deck what, what your responsibilities are and how to trade those off. We also have to think about like bandwidth within that time, right? Um, who is working, doing X amount within the household, who needs a break, who's sick, um, who's out on vacation. So it takes in a lot of these kind of ideas and conceptually helps you um, re redesign what the order in your house kind of looks yeah. like as far as tax management. 
I would think design at all, because most of us are just repeating the shit that our parents did or 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 doing things the opposite in spite of like because we were pissed about the way that it looked in our familial home. So either way, we're still acting in some sort of reaction to what was instead of intentionally creating what we want it to be. Yes. And busting down those gender stereotypes, right? Like for me, um, there are certain things that I do that aren't very quote unquote gender typical. Same with my husband. Um, And we've had those discussions. I think one of the things is what kind of discussions are we having if we are planning on getting married or being in a long-term relationship before we have children? And how are we kind of assigning these these tasks? Or is there any assignment? Are we just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and saying, well, this is what we've always done, or this is what, as you mentioned, like my parents have done and repeating those things. But how do you break those cycles, right? And a yeah. lot of that is having these discussions and saying, you notice I'm in charge of A through Z. Yeah. And here you are just kind of sauntering in. Yeah, which is which is which we created together. And I think that that's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. Like I had to really take responsibility for this because when I moved to Poland to get my husband was living in Poland. Well, he was then my fiance. I moved to Poland. We got married in Poland. And that's where I started working. But for the first five months I was there, I didn't have the equivalent of a green card, basically. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to work yet. I didn't have a work visa. And that meant to me, because I'm a people pleaser, because I I like to feel valuable and because I'm afraid that I'm not valuable, that meant to me that I take care of everything in the house. Mm -hmm. I did everything in the house. And my husband is a very capable man. He lived by himself for eight years before we got married. Like he can, he makes soup from scratch. Like he's fine. He can do it all. But I took on the laundry. I took on the grocery shopping. I took on all the cooking. I took on, and I took on all these things. And then when I started working, I kept them. So again, we're back to this conversation of the, like parenting, like you take on all these things and then things shift and you just keep all the things. And mm-hmm. I had to stop and, and ask myself if I was okay with releasing the responsibility of the laundry or if I wanted to hold it over my husband's head unfairly. If I wanted mm-hmm. to be like, but I always do the laundry. Like you can't martyr yourself if you're not doing the thing. So how many things was I holding on to in order to be able to say, look at all these things I do for you and you don't appreciate Mm -hmm. me, like Mm -hmm. to get that attention that I needed at that time. And I didn't know how to have in another way. It didn't work for like, to be clear. (laughs) It didn't work. And it it couples with resentment, right? Because you're, you're shuffling through these things like, Oh, I just, but they would notice or recognize this. Yeah. And a lot of it, yeah, there there is that recognition in there. Like, you're not seeing me do this. You walk past this thing that's, yeah. you know, on the step 50 times and I pick it up and you don't even notice that it's there, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But yeah, you keep doing these things. And how do you break that cycle and the, the conversations that you have? And sometimes people, and I'll admit, they'll be resistant to it. To have yeah. these discussions. I've met with people who are like, nope, this is absolutely not going to work in my house. Like, oh, you know, um, yeah. but I understand why. And a lot of this is, you know, repeated cycles, right? Yeah. One of the things that I noticed when I was going through this myself was that because I was so focused on the things that I was providing and doing and and like sort of like making my list of like, I'm doing, these are all the things that I'm doing, like holding and holding Mm -hmm. on to them really tightly. I wasn't noticing the things that I wasn't doing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't making any note 
of what was being done. So I wasn't noticing the thing on the step. I wasn't noticing the, because you're so focused on, everybody can't notice everything in the house. That is a mental load that's too big for everybody. So if you decided to come into my house every Tuesday, if we like, we don't really know each other that well, but just say you decided to come into my house every Tuesday and start making my bed in the morning and doing a load of laundry. I would stop looking at my bed on Tuesday mornings and my laundry on Mondays because I would know that it was getting done and I would delete it from my brain. Mm -hmm. Right. This is what people do in relationships. They're not ignoring what you're doing for the sake of ignoring it. Their brains have taken it out because there's no reason for it to take up space if you have taken responsibility for it. Yeah. Checked off the list. It just, it, it gets not even checked off the list. I think it gets like pulled erased. out completely, <laughs> erased. It never existed. Mm-hmm. If you don't have to think about it, your brain will naturally not think about it because that's how brains stay functional and yeah, efficient. And how, and how do you incentivize someone to do something if they've gotten, not, I guess, not gotten pleasure, but like have benefited from somebody else doing it all the time? Yeah. Right. So if someone else has done something for you X amount of time, how do you incentivize the person to now pick this up? Yeah. And that can be the real struggle with people and saying, well, you know, you've always, but you've always folded my laundry and put it away. Right. It's always been done for you. Yeah. That's a tough lesson to learn, right? You got to put yeah. away your own laundry. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's part of it is, you, you know, how, how does it benefit that? How do you explain that benefit? Yeah. And so the link to the Fair Play cards deck will be in the show notes. And I really like the Fair Play system. I know that mm-hmm. there are people that say it's a, maybe a little bit too um, stereotypical, like it doesn't always work for marriages that are not uh kind of traditional and gendered. And so I say, take that with a grain of salt. I think it's the best thing that we have right now. And we can mm-hmm. always improve on everything. But this is a really great way to sit down and have a conversation. Yes. It is. And are you familiar with um, Kate Mangino? No. So Kate Mangino wrote a book called um, Equal Partners, Improving Gender Equality at Home. That's mm-hmm. another book that's definitely worth worth checking out. And this is more of kind of talking about, uh, you know, even thinking about it prior to, to getting married, like what are some questions that we should be, what we should be asking ourselves or our partners? Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, I just wanted to toss that book out there because that also popped into my head as a good coupling for fair play. I Mm -hmm. I will put that in the show notes. Yeah. What is it that you're doing? You're doing advocacy work. Are you also working with people one-on-one? Like, what is it that you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So right now I'm actually writing an e-workbook that's kind of consumed all of my time, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm trying to make it, you know, 20 to 30 pages. And distilling everything down to 20 to 30 pages is really hard. But yeah. as I've been, you know, interviewing and asking crowdsourcing this information, they're like, the shorter the better, which makes sense, right? You're feeling yeah. a certain way. You need some solutions and some strategies. Yeah. I'm also trying to kind of take into consideration what is too much dumping of these like self-care right. ideals. Because I think that that doesn't work for it. I mean, they're all over social media. It's like something like 71.9 million hashtags for self-care now. Yeah. I wrote it down, um, it, which is insanity yeah. to me. It's all, it's everywhere. 
Um, so one-on-one I was doing now more focused on one to group. I think people really need to feel connected. Um, and I'm also doing speaking engagements professionally because I think for businesses to understand the value of investing in parents that work for them, it will only help their bottom line. And so that's another kind of avenue that I've started exploring because I think that people don't necessarily understand some of the nuances and difference between workplace burnout, parental burnout, and that dual role collision, how we can kind of work with that. Um, And then this summer, I'll be speaking at Postpartum Support International and uh, working with another um, uh, co-panelist, Donzel Lampkins, on burnout prevention as a component of family planning because I'm really... I can't say it enough, like the earlier we have resources in place and flexibility and resources and support in place, the better off we will be. Um, Of course, it's not, you know, it's not a cure-all, but it's definitely beneficial in this to start. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I think hopefully eventually I'll do one-on-one again. It's just hard. Like I want to help groups of, you know, I want to help people in mass instead of you know, if we can multiply ourselves and, and do that, that would be awesome. That's the podcast. However, that's exactly. why I have the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the road I would like to eventually get to. I just, man, I'm just trying to, there's only so many things we can do at a time. We don't need you to exactly. be, we don't need you to be burning out while you're teaching people about burnout. That's not right. necessary. And that's why I get to hang with you right on here. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Is there anything, if there's a parent listening right now that is like, all right, I hear you. Mm. Is there something that you would like to say to them as we wrap up? Yes. And I'm actually reaching for a book because this book I just started reading um, is from Dr. Pooja Lashman. It's called Real Self-Care, a transformative program for redefining wellness. And then in, um, parentheses it says crystals cleanses and bubble baths not included so you could just kind of visualize that there and say okay I already love this but I just wanted to pull out this one quote and let me just kind of grab it quickly um so here's the quote it says I don't mean to shame anyone who takes solace and wellness as a respite for their hectic lives. That's not the point of this book. Instead, I'm here to share that not only is the helplessness that we feel when it comes to taking care of ourselves not our fault, there's also a better way to do it from the inside out. And that's precisely what I'm going to teach you. So what I just kind of wanted to hang there is it's not about what everyone else is constantly telling you because there's going to be you know, you will get unsolicited advice for the rest of your life, but it's from starting internally and starting to say like, how can I self-advocate for the things that I need? How can I work with the things that I have to kind of explore where I can get some more free space for myself to find those things that used to bring me joy if I'm not feeling joy in these moments? I think it's really important to kind of consider that it might not be somebody else that's telling you to do something, but kind of strategizing with you on how you can do that on your own. I think that's really important to know. I love it. And I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up to my dear parents. Parental burnout is real and the medical literature doesn't necessarily agree just yet, but we are working on shifting those definitions and I would like you to take a moment today 
to grant yourself a little bit of grace for maybe not doing something that could have made things easier earlier because you just didn't know. You are okay exactly where you are, and you can make a decision today to do something a little tiny bit different. Start with the smallest things possible. Those over time add up into big, impactful changes. I promise you that is true every single time. We love you. Be good to yourselves and cut yourselves some slack, please. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.